This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Welcome once again to Chill Filter, the podcast where we drink whiskey so you don't have to, but you probably should. And also, but we're not drinking whiskey today. I can't even tell you what whiskey is being consumed today, but we'll find out in just a little bit. Before we get to all that, let's get down to just a little bit of business. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please hit the subscribe button while you're there. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or wherever you get this podcast at. We appreciate that so much. Helps us grow, helps people find out about the show, and helps us know what you like, what you'd like to see different. If you want to play a bigger part in the show, go to patreon.com slash chillfiltered. That's the business. Here's the podcast. Cole, my dear friend, how are you? I'm good. Good. Killing awesome. it these days. So, Cole, you know, we both love whiskey, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, we both have a good time doing the show. We, we have officially passed a year uh, anniversary on the show and uh, had a great episode uh, a couple ones back or last week where we were uh, talking about whiskey and talking about our experience in the last year. And it's just been this amazing thing. Heard, heard from some fans. And, uh, but do you know what I love even more than whiskey, Cole? Um, pizza. No, I actually, I think I like, I think I like whiskey more than pizza vacation. Do you love vacation? I love vacation. Yeah. What's your, what's your favorite vacation? Um, Europe in 2017, my wife and I went to Europe. It was dope. Nice. And you're going back this year, but we should say that the reason we're talking about vacation is that after a year of chill filtered, Cole and I just wanted to take a break and uh, go on vacation from chill filtered. We just, we wanted to recoup, maybe spend a couple of weeks, you know, figuring stuff out and planning for the future. But we also wanted you to be able to still have a show to listen to so we tapped into a couple of our friends and uh they are gonna host the the shows so on this episode we're gonna hear from the bourbon badger he is hosting this episode and uh, we don't know what he's drinking uh we're gonna find out right along with you guys and cole could you tell us a little bit about who the bourbon badger is yeah so caleb olson one of our good friends and patrons is a fellow wisconsinite and uh, is a solid guy that I met at the uh, Speakeasy Wisconsin event, and uh, we've kind of hit it off uh, through our social media, and he's a very um, special listener to us, and we're excited to have him uh, host the show today. Absolutely, and he has also been somebody who has sent, through a personal career, several great samples that we've tried on the show, and uh, we, we really appreciate that. I'm really looking forward to hearing this episode. I hope, Cole, you are too, mm-hmm. and I hope that our listeners are, are looking forward to it. You can find Caleb on Instagram if you search The Bourbon Badger. It's going to be great. So without further ado, here is Caleb. Welcome to a very special episode of Chill Filtered. As you can tell, I'm not your usual host. My name is Caleb, 
aka the Bourbon Badger, on Instagram. Sitting right across from me is my buddy James. Hey, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like Caleb said, I'm James, here for to taste some really fine Old Forester 1910 whiskey. Uh, we've each never had it before, but uh, we're hoping for the best. I, I like it, just from the story so far that I think that it, I've heard about it, and we'll go into that, I think it's going to be, I yeah, I think it's going to be good. It's a 93 proofer from Old Forester, as you may have guessed. And before we move on, I'd just like to thank Adam and Cole for letting us do the hosting today. So James, what is new, my friend? Lots new since the last time we talked, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's been a little bit. James and I used to work together, so we would see each other each day, Monday through Friday, and sometimes on the weekends, but... Recently, James left the company that we each worked for and decided to work remotely in a different position from home. So how's that been going? It's been going pretty good. Perfect move for me. Um, you know, you get to wake up in the morning and slowly roll into your day. You don't you don't have to think about this. Oh, man, I'm going to I mean, granted, it's pretty rural to drive anyways, but you still you get you get stuff by a tractor. Or you get just that 50 minute commute one way. Um, so now you can I can wake up in the morning go for a nice long walk through the woods. Um, maybe, you know, cut some wood. I got a little project going on lately that I started um, hoping to finish this summer. But yeah, otherwise it's been going really well. It's nice. We should say we're located in the middle of nowhere, kind of, in northwestern Wisconsin. So yes. getting stuck behind a tractor is kind of a regular occurrence. Yes, it is. It's uh, the cities, uh, like in Madison, you have the Beltline. Everybody hates the Beltline at a certain time of day or just all the time, depends, but... And everybody hates getting stuck behind a tractor. Yes, so it's real similar. Except the tractor driver. Yeah, right, no, <laughs> he's just tooling. He tries to move over. I mean, he makes an effort. He tries to move over, and it's like, mm, there's so many hills that... Uh, it's like, nah, I get it, thank you, buddy. But just the fact that, you know, you're driving on the road is... It's already over. We can't be friends. <laughs> What have you been up to, Caleb? It's It's been a while. Yeah, not too much is new over here. I guess the big things that have happened over the last six weeks or so, we purchased a new vehicle not too long ago, a minivan, uh, and that's actually been really, really nice. Now going to the supermarket is life-changing. Just being able to fit everything in the back of that thing. Super nice having those sliding doors. May have sacrificed a little on the coolness factor for the old bourbon badger, but uh, well worth the trade-off, and it was something that was needed for us having two kids. Other than that, we've just been having a lot of campfires. The weather's been great here in Wisconsin, and we've been enjoying that, just uh, chilling and building great big bonfires by the lake here, roasting some marshmallows and having a good time. No, that's gorgeous. Especially this breeze. You get a decent breeze when you're on the lake that's always... Uh, yeah, so I can see. Oh, and it's a perfect time of year. It's spring. Things are starting to turn green. You know, it's getting, it's warm enough and humid enough at night to where you can actually sit out and enjoy yourself. And especially when you catch, I always try to do some of those nights when there's like a, either a new moon or, you know, full moon in one of those phases, usually new moon, because then you can see stars that, you know, after your eyes just for like 45 minutes, you can see stars that you haven't seen. Like they're all brand new because. You have no light in the sky, no light pollution. But yeah, it's it's gorgeous. I've been doing that quite a bit too. Life is good. Work is good. Hopefully today's whiskey is good. Speaking of whiskey, James, how did your love for whiskey begin? Um, My love for whiskey, I think, I mean, it started, 
I, I, to be honest, like actual appreciation for whiskey and, and how it's made and the stories behind it. Um, more beyond of, you know, what it, what the effects do to you. But I would probably say in my mid twenties when I started to actually, you know, really appreciate the taste. So what is that? Two, three years ago? God, I wish I was that young, but no, that's 25, 30. Yeah, it's about, I would say 14 years ago. I really started to appreciate it and st- and really started to understand more about how they made it and how it was made and the ingredients that go in and and even some of the history you know behind it. Um, it it's been a pivotal thing, especially in the U.S. with prohibition and I'm sure in you know many other countries around the world that it's it's a thing that you know a lot of humans can agree on is a good thing. <laughs> oh yeah, a very good thing indeed. Can you imagine what it would have been like living through? That time of prohibition? Oh, goodness. I mean, I, I don't think it would be too terribly much different, except you would be doing it, you know, in a place where where other people weren't seeing you. But I bet you the availability and just the, the acceptance and probably the, you know, it probably wasn't criminalized, you know, during that prohibition so much as far as regular people. Because everybody, all regular people are, they they enjoy to wind down to a good drink like that it's, well i sure do enjoy it i can tell you that much yes i think everybody does give it give it a chance if you don't you will or come hang out with us and guaranteed by the time you're done you'll you'll have a new appreciation for whiskey i think yeah so kind of similar to james i've been into whiskey for around the same amount of time it's been 10 maybe 15 years or so but not real serious about it until the last couple of years, uh, for me starting out, it was always about Maker's Mark. Yep. You know, they have terrific marketing with that red wax dip running down the neck of the bottle. I, I always thought that was cool and, you know, it definitely stood out. And uh, I thought that was a really good bourbon whiskey and it's something I enjoyed for years and years. I went from uh, mixing it with Coke to gradually decreasing the amount of Coke that I would put in my beverage and uh, eventually phasing it out completely and, and drinking neat. And then uh, what's kind of interesting is uh, my love affair with bourbon expanded uh, after a work trip to Kentucky because yep. we, we manufacture some equipment that was used there and I was going to write an application article about that specific utilization and when I was visiting there, uh, one of our local contacts who I was traveling with, they're one of our dealers who sells our products. Uh, they were yep. showing me around town and said, hey, you know, let's go to this bourbon bar. They have Pappy Van Winkle. I was like, I have no idea what that is, but I like bourbon, so let's go. Uh, so we went there and uh, he presented it to me. You know, he's like, that's the bottle there on the back, on the back wall. I was like, ooh, well, yeah, that looks kind of cool. It's a little different than Maker's Mark, but I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. He bought me a pour, came in a Glencairn glass, which that was my first time ever having whiskey out of such a fancy glass. Uh, and I was blown away. First of all, I was blown away by the price that he would buy me a pour of this because it was $25 for a pour of 20-year Pappy Van Winkle, which... To me, was very expensive, but looking back at it, uh, it was a tremendous bargain. I wish I could go back to this place and buy them out. Yep. Yeah, I was just blown away. Uh, I was just really impressed by the depth this particular bourbon had. Uh, a lot on the nose, and once I drank it, it just filled my mouth. And 
warmed me from the inside out and lasted. The finish was just tremendously long and enjoyable. That was the finest whiskey I'd ever had at that point, obviously surpassed Maker's Mark by quite a wide margin and uh, really opened my eyes to uh, what a whiskey could be. Pappy Van Winkle, and just the name sounds, I mean, anything with Van Winkle. Yeah, I think the name is definitely part of the allure at this point. Yeah, I think so too. Most people agree that it's overhyped, highly sought after. People just go bananas for it. It uh, retails, the 20 year I think is somewhere in the two to $300 range at MSRP, but obviously you're not uh, going to find it sitting on the shelves. Uh, but on the secondary markets, it goes for $2,000. Oh my goodness. Just because it's Pappy Van Winkle. Absolutely, because it's Pappy Van Winkle. So having a, an ounce pour of that, it was probably a heavy ounce pour, ounce and a half for $25 was actually a really good bargain. Uh, I, I don't think they have any more at that particular store. However, next time I'm in Kentucky, I, I do remember where this place was, and I'm definitely going to go back. So that's kind of interesting that the whiskey that got me kind of hooked on what whiskey is out there was actually Pappy Van Winkle. And ever since then, I've been, you know, trying a lot of different bourbons, figuring out what I like, what I don't like. And it's just been a lot of fun going along for the ride. Yeah, no, that was, I remember it. It's funny that you bring up Maker's Mark because during that time when, because Jameson was always a, you know, a good whiskey, but it was, um, you know, like your go-to every day, like you said, Maker's Mark, and and still is in a lot of ways. But what you brought up with the Maker's Mark, I think that's about the same lines as in my mid-20s. I was kind of, I used to work with a guy. Um, we called him Hillbilly. I used to do cable at that time, um, aerial cable and climb poles. So he was from Kentucky. And that, okay. is the fr- that is the first time. It was one day we had a general shop that we all met up at, and we all had our boom trucks and our crews, and we... Filled up everything with hardware and, and went out for the day, did our work. But when we came back to bring the trucks back and put things away, um, I remember this guy, Hillbilly, had, and he had like a hard hat that was like, you know, the Hillbilly kind of flat build hat sure. that <clears throat> he really embraced the part. And he always would have Maker's Mark. And then that's when, when I tried that, I was like, you know what? Usually I'm not a bourbon fan, but once I tried that, then he was telling me some of the story behind it. And he was an older fellow, and I was only in you know my 20s then. He he gave me a little bit of education on it, and he had that Southern Grawl, and he was from Kentucky, so it was kind of this whole. Then that I think that's when I really started to look further into different kinds of whiskeys, and so it's it's funny that you mentioned Maker's Mark. That seems to be the catalyst for. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it is for a lot of people for sure. So, moving on to what we're going to be drinking today, it's Old Forester Old Fine Whiskey. Would you call it Old Timey Whiskey? I would say Old Timey Whiskey with O-L-D-E. I would too. They just have O-L-D on the label, but I would go ahead and add that E. Make it extra old timey. So, a little history of Old Forester. They're one of the historical brands still in existence. They have over 150 years of uninterrupted history, which encompasses prohibition james how is that possible because they were they were cranking this out in the in the moonlight of you know it's like one of my favorite punch Brothers songs um god what is that oh no it is not punch brothers it is actually one of my favorite bands in the world old blind dogs 
Of course. A Scottish band, yes. It was fantastic because there was a verse in there that said something about to make sure that you don't burn that green wood because they'll catch you by your smoke. Future James here. The name of that song about moonshining was Copper Kettle by Old Blind Dogs. But actually, during this terrible, terrible time known as Prohibition, when alcohol was not legal, there were 10 special licenses issued by the government for distilleries to keep distilling. Really? So they held one of the one of the few? Absolutely. Old Forster is one of, I think there were six or seven, believe it or not, not all 10 of these medicinal distilling licenses were claimed, only... I, I don't have the figure right in front of me, but I think it was only six of them were actually claimed. Really? Why would you not claim one of those? Yeah, is it more of a stigmatism, you know, or or more like uh, peer pressure, so to say, like you know your local government people in your church, blah blah blah. Like, don't you? It's available, but don't you dare get that because we'll excommunicate you from the. Yeah, like it was probably something that was frowned upon at the time. Yeah, I could see that. So the whiskey that was made during this time was not available to the public. It was only to be used for medicinal use only. Ah. So you make a doctor's appointment. You say, hey, doc, I'm having trouble sleeping. Is is there anything you can do to help me out? Or, hey, I've got this nagging cough. You know, what could you write me as a prescription to help me with this cough? Wink, wink. Well, let me just go ahead and write you a prescription for Old Forester Whiskey. Solved. Well, thank you, doctor. You're welcome. Absolutely. Hey, all those years of medical school really paid off. I haven't had a headache. I haven't had any any ailments besides being real tired in the morning all week. <laughs> so this particular iteration, the 1910, is part of a four-bottle series of whiskey put out by Old Forester called the Whiskey Row Series. It was first launched in 2014, the series that is. And it tells the story of Old Forester's unique history, highlighting significant milestones and production innovations. I like innovations, especially in whiskey. The series includes the 1870 original batch, which mimics founder George Garvin Brown's original batching process, which pulled from three distinct warehouses. It also includes the 1897 bottled in bond, which is from one distilling season in the same year, aged in a federally bonded warehouse for a minimum of four years and bottled at 100 proof. And third in the series was the 1920 Prohibition style, and that represents a barrel strength of the Prohibition area when Old Forester was granted, here you go, just one of the 10 permits to continue being sold as a medicinal whiskey. Have you ever had medicinal whiskey, James? (laughs) Self-medicated on a daily basis. (laughs) The 1920 I've had before, and it's magnificent. It's one of uh, the best ones, I think, that's out there, and you can actually find on the shelf pretty routinely. Um, Yeah, it's uh, probably one of my favorites. So the 1910 Old Fine Whiskey emulates a classic pre-Prohibition Old Forester batch taking place in the year 1910, obviously, where a batch was all ready to bottle and a fire broke out. Oh no, there's a fire at the bottling line. What do you do? You try to save as much whiskey as you possibly can. That's exactly what I would do, and that's what Old Forster did as well. Uh, So this batch was all ready to go in the bottle. They couldn't put it in the bottle because of the fire. They looked around and found some new charred oak barrels to put the whiskey back into until it could be bottled again a few months later, and that's how this whiskey was born. It's the first actual documented instance of a double-barreled whiskey. 
and it all happened by accident. It did. Some of the best inventions are pure happenstance. Yes, they are. And, and it's, you know, the necessity. Necessity, I needed to keep this whiskey. What can we do to make this happen? We'll put it in a new barrel. Oh, guess what? This tastes fantastic. <laughs> so the modern iteration of this, which we're going to be tasting today, the second barrel they put it into is charred nearly to the point of incineration. So I would think that's going to add a lot of char, some mm-hmm. additional wood sugars to the whiskey. We're, we're going to find out. And this was actually a huge success when they released it in, I think it came out in, in late 2018, uh, maybe early 2019, and it sold out almost everywhere. It's kind of hard to find right now, but I think a new batch is coming out this summer, this June or July. It should be back on the shelves. And it retails for $55. That's fantastic. That is a good bottle of whiskey to enjoy with friends, I think. So this is going to be a fresh bottle, and we're going to uncork it here on the show. I love these glasses, Caleb. The Bourbon Badger. James is referencing the Glencairn glasses, which are custom Glencairns, which I had etched with the Bourbon Badger logo. Yes. What do you think a badger sounds like? You know, I don't know. Probably because if you hear it, it's already it's too, too late. late. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard it and survived. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the uncorking. You think it's going to be a good one? I think so. I think it's going to make a beautiful yeah. sound. I like the faux tack strip they have over the top. Yep. We're going to go ahead and crack that. That's like a lot of the tobacco pouches still in Europe. If you, if you, I hand roll my own cigarettes and a couple times I've been to Europe and get cigarettes. They always have this really nice long tax strip like that. And it makes it feel kind of like, you know what? This was worth my ridiculous amount of money I paid for this. Okay. Let's see what the cork pop is like. That was good. That's beautiful that you can hear the That means the bottle was formed well when it makes that sound. Okay, so how would you describe this color? Dark. Very dark for whiskey. You expect it to be a little bit darker with bourbon barrel. That is surprisingly dark, especially for a non-age stated, rumored to be six-year-old whiskey. It is very, very deep mahogany color reminiscent of a much older whiskey. It definitely has some legs, too. The legs on it are incredible. I yeah. mean, they are not coming down. No. S- swirl this in the glass, and they just stay there. Oh, now I'm getting... They're starting to come down a little bit in little droplets. Well, you can definitely see the edge of it. It's not letting loose very, very easy. But when it does, they're very small legs. Huh. Oh. Oh, man, that smells amazing. The nose amazing. Is, is very pleasant on this. Right off the bat, I'm picking up some... Toffee, like a, a burnt toffee. I can definitely toffee. smell a little bit of the, the burntness. Oak, definitely oak. The oak, yes, toffee. Yeah, there's sweetness to it, though, too. I'm almost getting... Yeah, there's something in there with... Hmm. Cake, like a, a frostinged cake. Cheers, my friend. Cheers, Slanjima. That's... That is some really good bourbon whiskey, and I'm. You don't have that um, pungent, sour mash type flavor to this. It's very spicy. Well, this is a sour mash, but it's not so pronounced like like some of the like Maker's Mark, for example, or some of the other bourbons. You really get that that taste in your in your mouth of you know 
it has almost a little bit of spice, a little bit of heat. Absolutely. I'm getting a lot of that spice on the palate too. Uh, maybe some black pepper, not not a cinnamon, which sometimes when I say spice, it's hard to pinpoint what uh, what I'm actually picking up on, but it's more of like a, a brown sugary, like a, a darker peppery spice. The finish is a good length, not super long and definitely not hot. Yeah, it's not real hot, no. Okay, all. now the caramel's coming through a little more on the back end. Yep, there is a spice. I get an initial burn in my throat, but once it gets past that point, there's nothing, you know, nothing intrusive. It, it does it just right. And I really enjoy that type of spice and sweetness and a little bit of heat all at the same time, I think, makes a really good whiskey. Definitely well-rounded. It's got a really nice mouthfeel to it. It's, it's thick, you know, nice oily, something to chew on. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why the legs are so hard to come down. Yeah, this is really nice. I'm surprised by this. So am I. I'm surprised how smoky it is. That that double double barrel technique, especially with however they char that, is really bringing it. This is almost, I mean, outside of the color, it's very reminiscent of like a scotch whiskey so. because of the smokiness. See, yeah. I'm not getting a lot of those scotch notes. Uh I think what you're saying with the smokiness is the char that's coming through. That is delicious. Sometimes when I drink a scotch, it's got a little bit of saltiness to it. You know, that sea air brininess. You know, obviously if it's a peated scotch, it's going to have those earthy tones. Those aren't in this bourbon. But uh, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying with the smokiness and the char is coming through on this one for sure. Okay, so now we're going to add a half a spoonful of water and see if that makes a difference. We're going to swirl it around a little in the glass, make sure it's mixed together and mingles, has time to settle. Yeah, I don't get as much of the, car- of the caramel or the pepper as much as I did. It's made the legs run a little bit faster, too. Yeah, adding water has tamed down the rice spice, in my opinion. It's bringing forward the corn notes, which isn't a terrible thing. It's not like a young corn. Uh, corn isn't a bad note. Always, I hear people refer to young whiskey as corn forward. This is not a corn forward whiskey, but adding water kind of brought that out more than it did neat. It fused a lot of the pepper out, I feel like. A lot of the spice, it made it uh, no longer burns in the back of my throat. Just that little bit of water neutralized it quite a bit, I think. Yeah, it really impacted the finish. For me, the finish is completely non-existent it's just out the window bye-bye finish i think so yeah there's not much and that wasn't that much water now i would say with a little bit bigger drink with the water i get the finish back but it takes quite a bit more than initially so let's go ahead and do a, a small fresh pour and drop a cube see if that makes a difference I'm curious to see if this does make a difference. Now, I'm not one to usually add water or ice to my whiskey. I have an open mind about it for the sake of the show. I know we usually add some water, drop a cube. Personally, I like drinking neat. I like a glass chilled. I will say you can chill the glass and then pop the ice out and then pour it in, but... I don't think I've ever tried whiskey out of a chilled glass, actually. Boy, the nose is 
quite a bit different with some ice added. It's toned down more of that rice spice, and now I'm getting some vanilla on the nose. Yeah, quite a bit. It tamed it down. Yeah, definitely smoother. Uh, my opinion, I would rate neat, water, ice. Right. And I, you know what? I'd almost take this whiskey hot over <laughs> water or ice, to be honest. I think that that really dulled down the flavors. Yeah, I think it takes out the spice. And then I think whatever notes are left seem a little more, not overpowering, but very much more pronounced. Yeah, I'd definitely say neat. So now we're going to go ahead and rate this whiskey. James, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your score? You know, I'm surprised by this bourbon. Um, that smoky, the caramel, the spice that that's introduced in there is, I think, out of all whiskeys, I mean, I would give this, what, 1 to 10, you said? Good old Lipscoff scale. I'm going to say I really enjoyed this bourbon. Uh, yeah, I would give this an 8 out of all the whiskeys. Yeah. What do you think, Caleb? <laughs> I would give this a 7.75. Really? I think it's good. Uh, in terms of my rating scale, I would say anything from a 6.5 to 7.5 would be daily drinker territory, like a Buffalo Trace, Maker's Mark, maybe Maker's Mark 46, Knob Creek Store Pick, kind of that territory in that score range. Anything above that from 7.5 to maybe the low 8s, I would say, is above Daily Drinker, maybe a weekend pour, yes. tough day at work, something like that, and in the mid 8s to 9 and above is exceptional. So I would put this, yeah, 7.75 for me, that would be E.H. Taylor small batch territory. Different profile than E.H. Taylor small batch, but uh, I would give those two a similar score if I were comparing this to another whiskey in terms of enjoyment level. Mm -hmm. This is definitely something I would keep on my shelf in the new whiskey room I'm building. James, I'm building a whiskey room. I got to see when you first showed me that area down downstairs. I was like, well, that's going to be a little bit of work, but I could see a nice you know, uh, good mood lit whiskey room down there where good conversations like this and, and really good whiskey is drank. And Absolutely. So it's in my basement, which I have an older home. It was built in 1935. So I wouldn't call it a traditional basement as much as I would a cellar. Yes. Not a real habitable area down there. However, they had a, what appeared to be a canning room Oh, makes so, sense. Yeah, with a series of walls and an old door. I don't know if it was original to the house, but definitely it has some age to it, maybe shortly after the house was built. So the wood is actually super interesting. When I was taking down the walls, one side of the wood was painted white with <laughs> probably some serious lead-infested paint, <laughs> uh, but the other side was just bare pine, and it having sat down there for 70 plus years you know maybe close to 80 years it has some serious character to it so instead of just completely demolishing the walls i used a little finesse in taking down the wood 
uh, so I can repurpose it and put it up as sort of a staggered ship lap type of thing. I'm, I'm sure you've seen some of those reclaimed walls. That's kind of what I'm going to do down there mm-hmm. uh, and make some shelves down there. Just make it a, a nice little bar area for a couple friends to hang out and enjoy a pour. I think it's going to be pretty cool. I think for, yeah, the bourbon badger and to, uh, what badger does not have his den. All badgers have a den. Right, especially in the side of the hill. It might be closer to water, but um, I think it's going to be gorgeous. I think that pine down there, being that old, has it just has a more red hue to it, that it just with age. And I think um, the only issue you might have is smell with the boards because pine seems to keep that, that old smell. But I think the look of it, um, and we'll be drinking whiskey, so I, I think that'll probably be the last year where he's is. The, the old pine smell, but it's I think it'll be a gorgeous wood to use down there. So next, instead of doing Whiskey World News, which I know is everyone's favorite segment, we're going to try something a little different and play a game I like to call Thanos Just Snapped His Fingers. And in this game, James, Thanos, are you familiar with Thanos? I'm very familiar with Thanos. Well, James, something terrible has happened. Thanos has just snapped his fingers, and for some strange reason, it falls upon you to decide which of the following continues to exist and which is immediately turned to dust. Are you ready? I'm ready. All dogs in the world or all cats? All cats. Yes. <laughs> all cats. They're, they're lazy. They're selfish. They eat. Yes, they will snuggle you once in a while, but dogs are loyal. They're true. So all the crazy cat ladies who have 17 cats are just out of luck? You know what? They'll probably get ferrets or, <laughs> I don't know, maybe voles or kangaroo mice. I have no idea, but something. <laughs> they'll, 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 uh, they'll adapt. <laughs> okay, whiskey or beer? Oh, beer all day. Yeah. Beer is gone. Yep, bye-bye. All beer. Yep. No hesitation at all. No, no, not when it comes to whiskey. I mean, you're talking about liquid sunshine, the nectar of the gods. Now, this technically does not include distiller's beer, which is used to make whiskey. Yes, right. That still continues to exist. Yes. Kentucky or Scotland? Oh, that disappears? Yes. Kentucky. Kentucky's gone. 95% of the bourbon distilleries in the world, completely gone, or in America, because they're all in America. Yes, yes, because of Completely gone. Buffalo Trace, Heaven Hill, Jim Beam. Unfortunately, yes, because you, the Scotch whiskey. That yeah, I mean, if they, those bourbon guys would throw, you know, get on board and get a little smoky in there, then maybe. But otherwise, they're up in smoke. Yeah, Scotland all day. Strong stance. I would pick Scotland. <laughs> Sayonara, Scotland. I know it's that maker's mark. It's it's <laughs> it's ingrained in your DNA now. Deodorant or toothpaste? Ooh deodorant so you're okay just having bo all day long you can deal with bo i think better because of the natural pheromones that are produced than having rank breath i don't think there's any pheromones inside rank breath and that just it just repels so yeah that's my reasoning (laughs) okay yoda or our favorite ship in the galaxy the millennium falcon (sighs) millennium falcon so Han Solo in the cantina, Luke walks in and says, hey, we need a ride. Han Solo says, sorry, you're out of luck. I don't have a ship. 
Right. End of movie. Credits roll. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds familiar to some other Harrison Ford movies that you just change one aspect and the movie's moot. But Yoda, yeah, Luke wouldn't have went on that trip. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have needed Han Solo or his ship or Chewbacca unless um, Yoda was training him to be a Jedi. Like he went to win on, he would have been still, you know, water farmer on Tatooine. Who knows? I do like me some Yoda. Less Millennium Falcon. I can take less, you know, cocky Han Solo. I mean, Chewbacca is always near and dear to my heart just because that's like the first um, idea of Squatch, I think, that I... Well, he is essentially a space Sasquatch, yeah, which... Right. Which up here in northwestern Wisconsin is not an uncommon sight. It's actually more of a nuisance up here. Yes. Like you're driving your car and get out of the way, Sasquatch. I don't want to hit you again today. Right. And they're and they're so big and they just look at you, rip a tree out of the ground, flip it upside down, stick it back in there and throw dead chipmunks at you as you're driving by like snowballs in what's that movie, the elf where they're just chucking snowballs one after another it's like that with sasquatch and his dead chipmunks it's like uh when you used to have the kids that would throw eggs off the overpasses no squatch little baby squatch they like to throw dead chipmunks at your windshield yep it's almost like uh i don't know if you've ever had handful birds run into your patio door it's oh yeah similar all of a sudden bang you see chipmunks popping off your windshield try explaining that to your insurance company right squatch was throwing what So that concludes our Thanos game. Uh, James, you and I also have a TV show together. What is the name of that TV show, James? It's uh, Beyond Scouting. Yeah, and it's on public access here in uh, Rice Lake, Wisconsin. And we actually won a state award for the... Don't remember exactly what it was for. I could run downstairs and get the award. It's in a drawer somewhere, but I think it was for overall quality in a public access documentary show. It's actually evolved into more of a comedy throughout the various episodes that we've done. It started as uh, James is a expert outdoorsman specializing in bushcraft. Absolutely, that's kind of what the what the ordeal was with Beyond Scouting was just to be able to say. Um, to to get out further, to go further, because you know more stuff, you can take less gear. Um, but it's all, everything to do with bushcraft. Um, I wouldn't say survival stuff. I would define bushcraft as being being more aware of. It's so easy to get caught up in 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 the houses we live in and the the power that we think we have, the technology that we think. Yes, we do have all those things, but I think it's more uh, learning some of these skills to where if you ever did find yourself, and I do a lot of outdoor stuff like canoeing, and and there's situations that you can be found in that you don't you lose all of your gear, you tip your canoe over. I think just knowing those skills and still having an aspect of because I do software. But then at the same time, I like these things that are old in nature, I guess. Right. As a profession, James is a webmaster. He writes code for a living. Yes. So that's an interesting dichotomy between the two, the outdoor techniques of surviving on your own and also the advanced technology that we use on a 
day-to-day -day basis. self-sufficiency is part of it. It builds confidence. It's really good problem-solving exercises. Because when you go out and you don't, say you bring a, a minimal tent or you don't bring a tent at all, then how are you going to stay warm? Then, you know, uh, properties of insulation and properties of, of fire making and, and just these simple things, but you wouldn't believe the amount of confidence that you get when, when you can start a fire with a bow drill. Or you can build a shelter that you can stay in 10 degree weather in it. It's not only the problem solving is appealing um, because, you know, it's uh, what, what is that saying that necessity is the mother of all invention, where when you're forced with something, you know, you put yourself in a situation where you're forced to either, you know, and, and granted, worst case scenario is what mm, you're feeding wood into a fire all night and you don't get well, much sleep. worst case scenario would be you turn into an ice cube and freeze to death well right that would be but as long as you could feed the fire so and uh, as long as you're okay with that worst case scenario i think um that alleviates all of that but uh, yeah. so the bushcraft confidence um building problem solving and i think just it gives you that sense of i don't know it sounds i don't want to get you know guru or anything but it's a sense of belonging to the place that you're in um you know, a little more intimate with it. It's like you, when you walk through the woods, you, you walk as if you belong there. You're not just visiting or passing through. A connection with nature. I think so. As, as hippie as that may sound, but. So all of our episodes, we've got four of them out on YouTube. If you want to search for Beyond Scouting, uh, I would suggest maybe start with uh, episode two or three. Uh, let's see. The first one, James shows how to make fire, uh, but we were kind of just getting our legs beneath us at that point. Absolutely. James is the star of the show, and I'm kind of the producer, editor. Videographer. Videographer. Scripter. Scripter. <laughs> cameraman. Everything behind the camera is kind of what I do, and James is in front of the camera. All the important stuff. I just got to show up and make funny jokes and show some people some, you know, or show people some some good good things, though, about about the the stuff that, are, that that's around you that surrounds you, I don't know, I, I think it's very good to know what that stuff is. So before we end this episode, James, you have an interesting story about uh, your time in Italy? Yes, yes, Italy. Mm -hmm. And some whiskey that you encountered over there? You know, and it's funny, because Italy, I don't think, is you know known for whiskey, but I think I, I encountered one of the best scotch whiskeys that I've ever have had so far. You went to a whiskey bar? It was, it was in my hotel. It was a really nice, um, it was in Modena in Northern Italy and it was, uh, the Hotel Domus and they have a really nice restaurant downstairs. And what I learned is that in Italy, they don't go to eat until nine o'clock, eight o'clock at night. Ooh. Yes. It's always a very late night and they like to drink wine. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't have my hopes up when I walked in that night and was like, it's been a long day. I want to, I want to have a whiskey. So I went to the bartender and he spoke enough English and my Italian was good enough, I guess, to to relay my want of, I would really like, you know, a whiskey. What do you have for whiskey? Show me the fire water. Yes. Show me the fire water. And he, uh, which funny note, I, I was actually, uh, reminded more than once that whiskey is actually on their dessert menu. Believe it or not. Interesting. It is. You don't generally, you drink wine before dinner. And then after dinner is when you have whiskey. And literally on some of their menus, it's listed under the dessert section. A shot, of, a shot of really good Scotch whiskey or whatever you're, you, you know, the, you preferred. Ah, okay, I can understand that. I'm not usually one to have whiskey with my food. 
I also like having a little pour after dinner, so that makes sense. And they would have, so I walked into this hotel and I was thinking, you know, I really needed a drink and I wanted it to be whiskey tonight. And so I walked up to the guy and said whiskey and he he shows me two bottles, sets them down. He's like, ah, these you probably know. And one was um, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, which I was like, well, that's barely considered whiskey even in the United States, but... (laughs) But okay, I know those. Yes, I don't want any of those. Um, and then he showed me Lagavulin, and he had this bottle, and I was like, "Well," he's like, "Would you like some of this?" And he almost tried to pour it about me. And this is a little story about I think whiskey etiquette as well, is that he tried to pour it. I said, "No, no, no, no." I said, "Hand me that bottle. I want to smell it." That's very important. I think. Yeah, it's a big factor. <laughs> if anybody's ever had a cold, you know, that delicious cheeseburger, that really good drink, you're not tasting it because you're all stuffed up. So anyways, I said, no, 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 don't pull that or pour that for me right now. Let me take a, uh, I want a smell of that. Just put your nose right in the bottle. Right out of the bottle. And, and he stopped and I could tell he was a little hesitant. He was like, oh, okay, well, here you go. So I smelled it and he's like, okay. I'm like, yes, that absolutely, that smells absolutely smoky. That's right up my alley. And it, this smells beautiful. I, how did I live the rest of this this long in my life without Lagavulin? How was this possible? So I handed him the bottle back, and he's like, okay. So he throws in like four or five ice cubes into my glass Ooh. and almost starts to pour it. And I stopped him. Like, no, 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 no. No no ice cubes. Like, you can put them in there, just chill the glass, and then take them out, and then pour, pour whiskey. And... I, I think I surprised him twice. And then that's when I understood that what he was doing was basically, I think, testing me in a little way to where, oh, do you want this? Do you just want to drink this? Because it's, you know, something to drink. But then when I stopped and said, let me smell the bottle. And then I told him, you know, get that ice out of my cup. And that's when I gained, I think, enough of his respect. Well, there's nothing wrong with putting ice in your whiskey, you know, uh, Everyone says the correct way to drink whiskey is however you like it, and I agree with that. But you were looking to appreciate the whiskey in its true form? Yes, yes. Just that simple etiquette of, of I want it to be. If you're going to drink whiskey, that's a, that's a serious thing, especially trying a new one. You need to you know, examine and, and do your proper etiquette, your due diligence, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I think he respected that. So he was like, very good, he told me afterwards. He's like, very good. He's like, most people don't, you know... Uh, have that kind of respect for things that they drink. And No, I knew James was going to Italy and I had sent him on a mission to pick up some Blantons straight from the barrel because it's only available outside the U.S. And it was, I was so close. I feel like I was so close that if, but the store was in, and, and I don't think they did it to make money by any means. It was just for the love of whiskey that this place existed. And I want to go there. It had so much and unfortunately... Um, I was traveling for work at the time, so who I was with didn't have the patience or the love of this kind of whiskey. So my visit was cut short because there was just so much that I, I, I couldn't find it. Ah, uh, yeah, I can understand that. You're killing me, though. I know, I know. It's almost like uh, I need to, I need to um, redeem myself by going back to Italy at least. That would be a redemption. Bring me back some Blanton's straight from the barrel. And some really good balsamic vinegar. I made some good friends while I was over there, regardless if it was for work. Um, there was some quirky fellows that were right up my alley. That uh, one happened to be a winemaker, um, so I got in, in touch with him, and 
yeah so i could see a i can see another trip going there and i might be able to redeem myself and get this i also make my own wine and i just bottled my latest batch it's a pomegranate plum oh plum which i just bottled six gallons of 30 bottles and that'll get me through a couple days yes right (laughs) especially with plum yeah it turned out so well i'll give you a bottle and you'll have to take it home and let yes, me know what you uh, think. as always, I, uh, you haven't made a bad wine, and plum is m- my most favorite fruit. I don't know. Wine and bourbon. Can't go wrong. So I think that'll about do it for this episode of Chill Filtered. I uh, want to thank you for tuning in if you made it this far through the show. Thank you very much. Our glasses go up to you, and uh, cheers. And we hope this episode was entertaining. We hope you had a good time. I, I know I did. Yes. But most of all... We hope our love of spirits lifted yours.